0: In an environment of health disparities amplified by a national pandemic, racial injustice, Providence is committed to improving diversity, equity, and inclusion in our communities, workplaces, schools, and more. What happens now? How do we cope? What's the impact on our overall health and mental wellness? The Culture of Health will focus on what the future of healthcare looks like in today's changing culture. Together, we will discuss how we turn the conversation of culture and healthcare into lasting and meaningful action.
1: Hello and welcome to our broadcast. I am your host, Dr. James Simmons, board certified nurse practitioner and founder of Ask the NP. So as we get started with this very important and super awesome topic, as a reminder to you, the information provided during this event is for educational purposes only. If you have any questions regarding medical conditions or treatment plans, things like that, please consult your physician or primary care provider All right, now that the official stuff is out of the way, let's get started. I am so excited. Hello, everyone. There we are. Now we're on camera. Now you can see us. I am so excited to be joined by a fellow nurse. This is great. Mona Garcia, registered nurse and certified diabetes educator at Providence Holy Cross Medical Center. Mona, welcome.
0: Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here.
1: Excited to have you as well. And this is. This is such an important topic for so many reasons. I mean, diabetes impacts so many individuals, but in particular, you know, uh, communities of color. And so for those of you who are watching, hey, we appreciate you being here. And please don't forget if you're watching on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, doesn't matter. Go ahead and drop some comments in the comment section below. Or if you have questions for Mona or even me, we'll get to those throughout this uh, little mini broadcast session during your lunch. But I want folks to also remember too, when we say the word BIPOC, which we will probably use frequently throughout this conversation, it, 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 it's kind of a catch-all. Like it or not, it's kind of a catch-all for Black, Indigenous, and people of color, okay? I think it's really important to acknowledge that diabetes impacts different communities in very different ways. So even if we might talk about BIPOC communities as a whole, as part of the conversation, we're very aware that diabetes impacts black communities and indigenous communities and Latino communities and Asian communities, et cetera, differently, okay? So I just wanna sort of make sure that we're all kind of level set with that um, before we get going because language is important as we have all learned, um, very much so. All right, so with all that stuff being said, Mona, your turn. Please let everybody watching know, um, what do you do? Tell us about your role at Providence
0: so yes i am a certified diabetes educator here at providence holy cross so i see inpatient outpatient um er patients um, newly diagnosed somebody that's had diabetes 20 30 years um, provide them with education the tools that they need to be successful in managing their diabetes. And we also do a lot of education with our staff, with our nurse practitioners, our physicians, our bedside nursing. Um, So it's really fun. I get to do a lot of different types of education, which I enjoy. And hopefully, um, before COVID, we had a support group that I led. And I'm hoping we did it virtual. We weren't too successful. So I'm hoping soon that we can resume that.
1: Yeah, man, we're getting so close, right, to some of those in-person things coming back. Um, I actually traveled yesterday to my very first speaking engagement pre-COVID, or since pre-COVID, although it was kind of odd. I was in this big room, and I had to speak with a mask on without a microphone. It was really, really tough. I digress. But yes, hopefully that group is um, coming back for you soon. A very fundamental question that I think so many people have, and that gets misunderstood so often is kind of maybe simple and not so simple. What is the difference between type one diabetes and type two diabetes?
0: So i usually break it down by type one it's an autoimmune disorder so something happens in the body that is attacking the beta cells which are located in our pancreas something is causing it to break down and that's the the cells that actually make insulin so their body no longer can make insulin they have to be managed with only injections no oral medications Um, and a lot of patients will ask me oh well Do I have the bad one or not? And it's not really that one's worse than the other. It's just different management. And we have to get lab tests to confirm you are truly a type one. So there is some genetic tendency for type one. But what we've, you know, research has showed us is there's a genetic tendency, but we don't know. Something in the environment triggers that gene to activate and the beta cells are gone. Mm -hmm. Type two, there is a genetic component. You know there is, you know, you have family history, but what I like to tell my patients is we can't control our genes, but we can control how we wear them. Okay, so <laughs> yeah. I love I, that.
1: Did everybody yeah. hear that? I want you to say that one more time, Mona. That was great.
0: So we cannot control our genes, but we can control how we wear them. Love so that. I can identify my identify myself as a person of color. I um, have diabetes on both sides of my pa- uh, both parents. So I try to do my best, try to eat right, and try to be active to hopefully, if I do get it, you know, get diabetes, it's going to be when I'm 70 or 80, not now. Hmm. So we can definitely, you know, make lifestyle changes to hopefully not have it come, you know, but we can't control our genes all the time, you know, and if it does happen, and I'm sure it is, you know, I'm going to do my best to manage it.
1: Well, and what are some of those things? You know, I think people... People get so scared right away. They hear diabetes, you know, and type two, right? So it's something that develops, but that's something that we can, like you were saying, sort of stave off, Mm -hmm. even if it's in our genetic kind of makeup and in our family history. What are some of those factors that people can do to maybe avoid developing type two diabetes?
0: Um, I usually tell patients, you know, honestly, having diabetes or pre-diabetes or no diabetes, it's really about living a healthy lifestyle. You know, bottom line is we all got to move more and eat less. Mm -hmm. And especially, um, you know, you go out to eat. It's bigger portions. You, You know, family events, especially our cultures, is very linked to food is love you know, eat more, you know, let me feed you more. So really the bottom line is, you know, if I get a patient that doesn't exercise at all, I just ask them, I said, give me 10 minutes, three times a week, that's all I'm asking for. Work on that for six weeks and then maybe we'll bump it up to 15, you know, minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, And really just watching our portions and making little changes, you know, January's coming up. So I'm sure I'm gonna see a lot of patients that (laughs) are like, I did boot camp, I did this and I did that. And they can't sustain it so i always try to see where a patient is at look at where you're at right now and look at a small change you can make because that is what's going to last you and be consistent and and last you longer than these drastic changes that we can't maintain
1: i i you are So onto something right there, Mona, and I I counsel this. You and I kind of see diabetes in two different scenarios because I'm an acute care nurse practitioner. So I see people in the hospital who are really sick, sometimes DKA or HHNK, they're in the ICU, they're on an insulin drip, regardless of type of diabetes, but it's out of control, right? Usually once we get those patients stabilized and they're getting ready to go home, I really like sitting down and having a nice long conversation about sometimes diabetes can feel so big and it can feel so heavy and they're like i can never you know the i think the number one thing you probably get this too is people are saying i can never have a cookie or a piece of cake ever again right i can never eat sugar ever again when actually really it's carbs and it's really the consistency of carbs and the quantity like you said portions but also just understanding that those little things this is the point i'm really trying to drive home here with folks those little things make a big difference. They are cumulative. They're like our 401Ks, right? When they always say like you put in $1,000 and then 30 years later you got $400,000 or I wish it worked that way, but you know what I mean? The same is with diabetes. And can you talk to a little bit about maybe some folks who are watching, particularly BIPOC folks, people of color. Absolutely. Um, what are, what are just like, what are two or three of those nuggets, just those little things from a nutrition standpoint that um, we can make changes?
0: Sure, absolutely. And I, and I always start with where a patient's at. You know, you can't compare what you do to somebody else. So, for example, I had a patient the other day, um, came in, nuanced onset diabetes, had no idea he had it. And I asked him, I said, oh, you know, how many tortillas do you have each meal? Oh, 10. I said, Okay. I said, are we willing to do maybe five or six a meal? And he looked at me, and goes, yeah, I think I could do that. I said, OK, let's do that for a little bit. Um, another example is I have patients that drink three sodas a day. Like it's just given breakfast, lunch and dinner. So I asked them, what do you think? Can you make maybe do one or two a day? And if they, you know, some tell me that there's no way. I said, OK, then let's talk about something else we can change, right? you know, and because we always have to have empathy too, because we don't want, I wouldn't want someone to come tell me don't do this, don't do that. And you know, we have to understand that patients don't want that either. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like you touched on about, you know, just making those little changes and that's, what's going to really add on, you know, really add up and make that significant change and help you manage your diabetes best.
1: Yeah. You know, you brought up, I, the hospital where I work at primarily serves a black and brown population. Mm-hmm and so culture really does and the way that culture uh food is is approached with culture food is love love. and you know heaven forbid you go to tia's house and she's made this whole thing for you and you say no or abuelita right you will literally give abuelita a heart attack if you say no to eating this food so how do we approach that right how do we approach like i'm at abuelita's house she's made all this food I know I kind of have to eat it because of the relationship I might have with Abuelita, but also like I know for my own health, I can't eat it like I used to.
0: Absolutely. And I tell them to work it in, you know, just how you said about the cookie. So, you know, I would tell them what other carbohydrates can you eliminate or maybe fill up more on veggies and um, vegetables on um, vegetables and protein. So that way you can have the cookie. But when you're going to family's house like that, I always tell the patients, look and see what is it you really want. Is Tia known for the tortillas or is she known for the beans? You know, pick which one is gonna be like, okay, I'm not gonna get this all the time. This is a special occasion. And I always tell them if you mess up and you eat a lot and you tried your best, it's okay. You Every meal you get a new chance to start over. And if you do eat a lot, I always tell them either go walk, put on the music and everybody just start dancing. Just move mm-hmm. your body. Cause any activity is gonna help lower your blood sugar.
1: I love that. And I love the, you know, I think there's so much guilt Around this, like we're going, you know, let's dig in a little bit here, Mona. There's a lot of guilt uh, and shame around diabetes, and they generally, you know, type two diabetes and obesity generally go hand in hand. And there's a lot of guilt and there's a lot of shame about that. And yet, we, a lot of us people of Mm -hmm. color, come from these communities where food is love, and food was sometimes the only thing we had to be able to gather around. Mm -hmm. And so you have food, but then that same food is what's causing us to be disproportionately sick. Yes. Um, can you talk to a little bit about how some, you know, black, Latino, indigenous communities in particular are disproportionately impacted by diabetes?
0: Um, you know, I, I really feel, you know, you said it was the diet, too. And I also feel it's almost the health literacy. Like they just don't know to call. You know, sometimes I'll see patients here and they tell me, oh, I've had high blood sugars the last four months. And I say, oh, well, why didn't you call the doctor? Oh, well, I have an appointment in two months. So I'll just wait you know, so I always try to teach that, you know, your health is important, you need to step up and call. And I find with you know, the BIPOC community is they really feel like, oh, I can't question the doctor or no, no, no. This is what he told me. So I can't, I can't say that my blood sugars are high or that what he did didn't work. Or a lot of times they'll say, oh, I'm taking all my medication or they tell the doctor that. And then I come in and I'm like, okay, honestly, you know, I'm not here to judge, (laughs) kind of tell me, you know, what's happening. And they're like, oh, I only take it twice. Mm. And Mm. so when I explain to them, you know, not to have that shame that we're all here, To really help them and to get them, you know, get their glucose in range, and it's not about judgment and it's not about shame, and I also, you know, tell them many, you know, they a lot of patients tell me they feel like they're the only ones in the family that have it, and I explain Mm -hmm. to them not many people announce when they have diabetes, you know, I said, you might start to open that window, you know, that can of worms and say, Hey, I just got diagnosed. And you might, you might have five other family members. I said, Oh, you too. Oh, you too. And I really try to encourage them to, you know, use it as a force to, to teach and to help others.
1: I absolutely love that. Sometimes, I think sometimes it's even harder for people of color to be vulnerable.
0: Oh, for sure.
1: A, a lot of times, like culturally, but then a lot of times we, you know, there are people of color in different circumstances are already sort of at a disadvantage and then to be vulnerable might show a sign of weakness. Yes. And so we're sort of taught, like, don't be vulnerable. Don't, yeah. you don't tell the family, you don't tell your friends that you have diabetes because that's showing a, another sign of weakness. hundred percent. But I loved what you said about actually, if you do that, you know, Thanksgiving's coming up, right? If you're the first person at the Thanksgiving table to be like, y'all, I went to Mona because Providence diagnosed me with diabetes six weeks ago and is, is real and it is a struggle and I like, could use your help or I don't know what to eat on this Thanksgiving table, right? And then I, you, just, you said it, Mona, I think people would be so surprised. Probably half the rest of the table would be like, oh, yeah, me too, you know? Yes, for sure for sure. Yeah. It's a, it's a really, really big thing. And I, that kind of leads me into my other question in terms of like awareness and promoting like health in underserved communities. So, and we kind of talked a little bit about in your own family unit, Mm -hmm. how you go about doing that. How do we do that sort of, as we expand into communities in general
0: about diabetes? Um, You know, I'm, I'm hoping as things are, are opening up, you know, we can get out there more. I really feel To help, um, you know, the BIPOC communities, we have to go where they're at, you know, if they're at church or if they're in the market, you know, let's, you know, try to hit it there or really, um, you know, just encourage, you know, have that encouragement. So when I have a patient, you know, I tell them, I said, you you can help others, you know, even if your family members are like, oh, I'm not doing that. And that's a stupid way to live or whatever. I said, you make those changes, you're planting seeds, they're going to watch you. Like I tell a lot of my patients, they have kids. I said, you know what, I said, they might fight you that you're not going to buy the juice anymore. I said, but eventually you're teaching them. You are teaching them. And because you have diabetes, they're more likely to get that also. So I really try to empower patients to be that change. And I feel when others see it, you know, hopefully we're planting seeds there that we can make some changes and hopefully have a much healthier community.
1: Yeah, I, I really agree. That's, that's fantastic meeting people where they are both. You, you said that so well on a micro level, like in the individual conversation. Right. Yeah. I love, I've used that almost that same example, yeah. Mona, multiple times. How many tortillas are you having with, with dinner or with each meal? Okay. let's just start there. Right. Don't change anything else. Sure. But then also meeting a community where they are yes. both metaphorically. Yeah. And physically, right? You can't, I think we learned this with the COVID vaccines. I know this is a different yeah. conversation, but we learned that with the COVID vaccines, you know, there was kind of sort of slow uptake of COVID vaccines yeah. among particularly Latino and Black communities here in Los Angeles County. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, when we went with the vaccine information from people who look like the community yes. to the community, it changes everything, right?
0: Absolutely. And I mean, even I'm doing my job even at the market or somewhere, you know, it's like, oh, you know, someone is asking me something and it's just, I just feel just like you said, when they see that I'm just like them and I'm speaking to you and giving you education. So I mean, even at schools, or I mean, wherever I'm at, I'm always trying to plant seeds somewhere.
1: Yeah. Tell me a little bit of, because of that. Tell me a little bit about how important language is right? Um, How, how that, you know, some things get lost in translation a lot. And can you talk a little bit about like how particularly, obviously for our Spanish speaking population, how important it is to have those Spanish speaking people and resources?
0: um, Yeah, I actually have a funny story. I used to work with um, an Australian nurse. I mean, blonde hair, blue eyes, you know, Australian accent, She come and tell me, oh, this patient is taking their medicine, everything, everything, and it's just something's not adding up. And I said, oh, okay, you know, let me go see them. So I go in there, speak Spanish to them. The patient did know a little English and was able to communicate with her. But I went in there talking Spanish. Oh, I got the whole lowdown. No taking medication, (laughs) um, eating large amounts of food at home. And I came back and I told her, I said, oh, well, this happened. She's like, oh, my gosh. And then I knew it happened. But until I experienced it, I said, wow, that was significant. I mean, this man, the patient told her, I'm taking my medicine every day. And we were going to increase his insulin for home. And I said, let me go see. So it was thankfully I went in and I just started speaking Spanish and he felt so comfortable that he told me I'm not um, taking it the way I should. And I know I need to be better. So then we talked and, you know, was able to help him. But it definitely impacts. So definitely in my work, any Spanish patient, I'm like, I will take them. I will see them, you know, <laughs> it's just I feel a the comfort. They just feel like they can just express the truth and not feel so nervous about well what are they going to say and you know it's just so much more comfort level for them
1: mm-hmm. you really you've hit on something there Mona that is very very well researched not only in diabetes education <laughs> but for all providers and that is people of color get better health care and are more receptive to the health care that they're getting from people who have their shared experience, Yes. meaning black folks get better care from black folks because there's a better, kind of like you said, there's a more of a comfort level. For there's sure. more of a symbiotic relationship. I know you, You at least I can tell what you're going through. And so same thing, I think that you you just said an incredible experience, that nurse was probably doing everything right. And that patient was trying to communicate, but also maybe uncomfortable because they're like, this person doesn't maybe have my shared experience, at least on a surface level. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to feel judged if I'm, if I open up. Right. So what would you, what would you say to patients in a scenario like that, where maybe there is a language barrier or there's a cultural barrier or whatever, Uh, but in, in, in learning how to sort of advocate for themselves, especially like around a new diagnosis of diabetes.
0: Um, I usually always tell them, you know, your health matters. What you have to say matters. And I usually tell them um, who's going to have complications? You are the doctor. Who's going to be in the hospital bed? You are the doctor. You Hello got it. That's so
1: great. Mona's giving us all of them. I love it. Say that again, Mona. That was great.
0: Um, just that their voice matters, their health matters. And, you know, who's going to have the complications? you or the doctor. And I tell them, I said, you don't speak up. No one's going to know. And I always tell them, I said, we, you know, my goal as an educator is to live a healthy lifestyle and have no complications. How we're going to do that is you got, you have to speak up and it's okay. Wow. And I always tell them it's okay to speak up. And they just always look at me like, oh, I can't question the dog. And I tell them if they give you these, uh, prescriptions for these medications. You go home and you're checking your blood sugars, your numbers are still high, so then you need to call and say, I don't like my numbers high. And they look at me, I can do that? I said, absolutely, you can.
1: And and we want you to, as someone sure. who's a provider, right, prescribing that medication, particularly in the hospital environment, right? I, for sure. We get people started, and then I'm like, you have to follow up, <laughs> because what I'm sending you out on is probably not the the combination that's going to ultimately work for you. Exactly. And
0: I tell them, I said, they're making these changes in the office, but you don't follow up. How do they know it's working or not? I said, so I always tell them they have to do their part. And they look at me like, really? It's like, yes, do your part. You got to follow up. And then I think too, also with our, you know, with, um, you know, people of color, it's, you don't go to the doctor unless something's wrong. Mm -hmm. So, oh, everything's fine. Oh yeah, my numbers are still high. It's okay, but I feel fine. I'm not gonna call. I'm not gonna make an appointment. And I'm like, no, well, you gotta go, even if you feel okay.
1: It's rough. It's rough because it's a cultural thing, oh, right? 100%. And so, even even you saying in that again in that micro moment, in that in that one to one moment with a with a patient or a patient and family, saying you can speak up, and and literally for folks that are watching that are maybe not familiar with these cultural nuances, you're not. You're just told whatever the doctor says is is flawless. And you just do it and that's it and end of discussion. There's also a different sentiment around the approach to medications. And this happens in sort of both black and Latino communities that I took this medication, it made me better. So then I'm done like, like <laughs> oh, with blood pressure, right? I see it with blood pressure, medication, oh, blood
0: time. pressure. Like, yes, hundred percent.
1: It's something right. I took my blood pressure medication it brought my blood pressure down. Yeah. So now I don't need to take my blood pressure medications yeah. anymore. And it might seem sort of funny to those of us who have these nursing and then medicine backgrounds, but culturally it's hard. It's hard to fight years of culture telling you don't challenge this authority figure.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Cause it feels like a challenge. Right. Yeah. And, and so what, you know, give, I, I like where you've gone, but I want to, I really want to enforce this one more time to folks that are watching. What's one thing, let's say you are a patient, you don't like your numbers you're sitting in the nurse practitioner's office or the doctor's office. What's what's the one thing they can say to just open the door to having a conversation about changing medication or something like that?
0: Um, I usually tell them either bring your logbook, show your numbers, or bring your meter, or you say, um, you know, and I encourage them to take notes. Like, oh, you notice the mornings are high or the evenings are high. You know, I, I always, you know, let them know, hey, you know, Open that door by saying, I've noticed my numbers are high in the morning, or I'm not feeling that great. And I've noticed my blood sugars, I can't get them below 200. And then, of course, the doctor to be concerned because we know we want you below 200. So, you know, I, I kind of put it back on their hands and say, you know, hey, you want to be healthy. You don't want complications. You have it. This is your part. You know, the doctor has a part. The educator has a part and the patient has a part. And, I, and some patients are like, oh, the doctor has to do it all. And I said, no, you have to do your part. You know, you have to check your blood sugar. Mm-hmm. Yeah
1: we we really do have to work together and i love that you brought up data right we're scientists as nurses and we love data and if you're if you don't have a fancy little arm meter or you're not logging things or whatever and we 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 don't know whether your medication regimen is working except for like an a1c right well and even then we're like all right well your a1c went from 8 to 9 so something's not working but how how we adjust that insulin regimen or pills and insulin or whatever can sometimes it's really helpful if you have data. So for those of you watching, don't be afraid to write it down. And it doesn't have to be fancy. Look, you can put it on a post-it note. You can do whatever, right? Just write it down. That data is super, super helpful. Listen for uh, everybody watching. We have about four and a half minutes left. So YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, wherever you're watching, if you have questions, Um, For Mona, questions about diabetes, diabetes in uh, black, indigenous and people of color communities, Latino communities, put them in the chat here. We'll get to them real quick. You have a certified diabetes educator right here. So if you have questions, now's the time to answer them. Okay. Um, And while maybe some of those questions come in, Mona, let's say you're one of those pre-diabetic folks right you're like ah uh, a1c is 6.3 you just got it and you're like ah uh, bmi is like 31 yeah like a little high but not crazy what do you do what's like what do you do before you panic what do you do
0: um, i tell them how do you feel take a deep breath you know oh, yeah. let's um you know and i really explain to them that what i'm ta- telling them and teaching them is what everybody should do whether you have diabetes or not So I really encourage them to know their A1C, you know, because I always tell them, you know, yeah, you might be 6.2. You're still pre-diabetes, but next year you could be 6.3 or next six months you're going in the wrong direction, wrong direction. So I want them to be aware of that. And again, I just start where they're at. If they're having 10 tortillas, okay, let's see if we can cut back. Um, You know, what small changes can we make to sustain them and to hopefully build on those changes and really just moving I'm um, with pre-diabetes, you just got you really, really gotta move. And I always tell patients, you know, you don't want to take medication, then get out there and move. You gotta find something that you like and do. Um, and I always say there is no medication that's gonna take the place of activity. That's the bottom line.
1: Mm. So I really, I really do- feel like Mona, you should have a you should have a sign. You just you're giving us all these good gems, right? You're just sign who's gonna have the complications, you or the doctor? nothing beats medication more than activity so i don't know you've got a bunch of them mona i love it this is great
0: um, so many years of working in this field <laughs>
1: <laughs> absolutely and i think there is there's is no medication that takes place of activity right i love it mm-hmm. and and i love how you brought up that the activity you know again i think people hear oh my gosh i'm pre-diabetic or you know i have some obesity or they're together and we sometimes we only have 15 minutes with you at most and so we're like, hey, your A1C is a little bit high. I'm going to hook you up with Mona. She's a diabetes educator, but it's really important that you lose a little bit of weight and exercise. Okay, thanks, bye. Oh, yeah, and take these meds, right? Yeah. When people hear exercise, I think they hear I have to join a CrossFit gym. And oh, six 100%. Times a hundred percent, a hundred And They're like, I could never do that. I could never. You want me to run a triathlon every day? Like, this is what people hear when we say exercise. So, Mona, for for the record, when you or me or any other provider are saying, we want you to get a little exercise, we want you to get a little activity, what what does that mean?
0: Just moving. I tell patients, park farther away. And they actually did a study. If you did 10 minutes in the morning, 10 in the middle of the day, 10 in the evening, it's the same as doing it all together. So I tell them, I said, you know, look for little spots, you know, in your day. If you have kids and you're picking them up and you get there early, what do you do? You sit in your car. Go walk. If your doctor's running late, instead of sitting in the lobby, you can say, Hey, I'm going to go for a walk. I'll check in in 10 minutes. Go check in. Oh, they're still not ready for you. Go do another lap. I tell patients, Keep tennis shoes in your car because um, you never know when the opportunity might come up that you can actually go and be active. Um, you did bring up a good point about CrossFit and boot camp. So when I see a patient, they're like, Oh, I'm going to do boot camp and CrossFit. And I ask them, I said, Well, what are you doing now? Oh, nothing. I said, okay, then let's start with walking. You know, let's start with walking, you know, just walking. And then if you have a bad knee, get resistance bands, get, you know, some kind of light weights. You can easily do arm exercises, leg lifts. I mean, anything. Just move your body. That's the key. And I always tell patients you have to find something you like. If you don't like it, you're not going to do it. You know, Mm -hmm. so you have to find some kind of activity you enjoy doing, because if it becomes a chore, then you're not going to do it.
1: One hundred percent. You know, and if, if it's yoga or tennis or soccer or whatever or something, uh, but moving ultimate goal of three times a week for at least 30 minutes. But you don't have to start there. You just have right. to start moving more than you are now.
0: Exactly. Exactly.
1: Um mona you've dropped like four gems on us today with these little quotes i love it before we go because we have to wrap up here do you have any last gems or any last words specifically to our black indigenous and and latino folks asian folks watching who might be struggling with diabetes or have someone in their family who are what's your last words to the to the community
0: um i think my last words would be uh don't be scared speak up your health matters and you know, don't get discouraged. If that A1C is high, that's okay. You just take that information and you work on it and just make small changes.
1: I love it. It's really, It really can be that simple. Just make small changes, start moving a little more, remove a few tortillas per meal, you'll be good. Yes. Be good, we promise you. We're not lying to you with this, okay? <laughs> we promise. Mona Garcia, thank you so, so much for being here. We really, really appreciate it. This was so fun. I think, like I said, this was the first time I got to host with a fellow nurse, so this was great. Um, I really appreciate you joining us. And of course, everyone out there who has been watching, I went a minute over, but that's better than the five minutes that sometimes I go over. We really appreciate you uh, listening and watching this, spending a little time with us today on YouTube, LinkedIn, or Facebook, wherever you're watching. And of course, if you're looking for help with your diabetes, your mental health, any other medical advice, please, of course, visit providence.org. We're going to hook you up and be sure to follow Providence all over social media at Providence on Twitter and under Providence Health System on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. All right. Thank you all for watching. Hope everyone has a fantastic Wednesday.
0: Thank you.